Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. We're coming to you today from Baking Soda, Minnesota. And you know, Ray, we're switching gears here a little bit today, and we want to talk about conflict. And the thing I wanted to raise is... Why are we at a point where we want to talk about conflict in communication? Well, I think of all the interpersonal communication events, one of the ones that people are most concerned about, actually most fearful of, is one that involves conflict. One that has the potential to create uh, both a negative interaction, it has the potential to be adversarial. And interestingly enough, not only the event as it occurs, the interpersonal conflict as it occurs, but the future of that conflict. What happens as a result of this? I mean, if I have cross words with someone or we're in a situation where we are on opposite sides or we take sides, I have to live with that. And let's say I work with a person. Now we've got months, years ahead of us to consider what's the impact of this going to be on our contact. Mm -hmm. And so there's so much built into someone's emotional concerns related to conflict that I think it's approached with such concern, in some cases, timidness, that it makes it worse than it actually has to be. I'm also hearing you say a lot of people anticipate certain certain communication situations are going to be conflictual. What are some of the ones that you've heard or some of the ones that we've seen that people go into the conversation believing this has great potential for conflict? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that I've got any examples that come to mind immediately, but I think that one of the things that creates the greatest anticipatory concern is when I really want something badly, and I think this person is going to oppose it. This person is going to obstruct it. Then I build a lot of anticipatory anxiety about that conversation or however that's going to surface. Mm-hmm. And so for me, uh, a lot of times that anxiousness in advance creates far more tension and far more negative energy than actually addressing it. Well, you know, I think in one-on-one situations in corporations, I think oftentimes the supervisor evaluation or feedback review is one of those spots where supervisors anticipate there's going to be some conflict here. This is going to be a tense situation. I've got to give some feedback. I've got to give a critique and I don't feel comfortable with it. In fact, I've been surprised how many times I've seen supervisors who really worry and really become anxious about doing these kinds of formal reviews. And I see you smiling. So what's running through your mind? What's running through my mind is they should worry. (laughs) They should be concerned because most supervisors give people information after a year's performance that takes the recipient by surprise. Mm. My one rule of thumb is if you're managing someone and you're going to give them reviews, nothing you say at the review, at the annual review should take them by surprise. They should have heard this before. They should have gotten this in smaller increments. It should never be this annual blast where they feel so attacked and so assaulted and so unfairly treated that, of course, it's going to be a problem. I was smiling because I can't tell you the number of managers I've worked with who don't do feedback, don't provide performance feedback incrementally, which means weekly, daily if necessary. 
in small chunks that give people a picture of how their performance is falling short. Before was, it becomes such a monumental issue that by the end of an annual review and you're threatening to fire them and they think, well, I've, been, I've done a good job. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think oftentimes why we get there or why the supervisor gets there is they have failed to address the conflict in small doses that they put off, put off, put off offering this criticism or offering this feedback that has a potential of being negative. And as a result, it builds, 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 and then they've got to do it. And now it, it has the potential of being an explosive situation. Yeah. And again, you're laughing. Any thoughts there? No, I'm just, I'm, the number of times that I've encountered managers who are undone by having to deliver performance reviews when, in fact, they've not done anything until that required annual slot. And then they think they can get it all done and get it done properly in that. And I just think that is so not likely. Well, in this session, we wanted to at least address two issues. One is how people define conflict may indeed put them in this spot psychologically that they're anxious about it or they're beginning to dread it or they're fearful of it. And so wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about how did we distinguish conflict between other forms of interpersonal uh, disagreement, et cetera, et cetera. And then maybe talk a little bit about the beliefs that people hold about the nature of conflict. And again, we're doing all of this to set up a conversation that we hope to have over a couple different episodes about how do you manage conflict in interpersonal communication situations. So you want to take a run at that idea of how you distinguish between conflict and other forms, other concepts that seem to align with conflict, like disagreement, opposition, difference of opinion. Thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that people think if I disagree with you, we're in conflict. And that's just not true. I mean, we have a good friend we spend a lot of time with who's an Ohio State fan. <laughs> you know who you are out there. Right. All we are is go blue. That's right. Well, that doesn't necessarily put us in conflict. It just means we disagree. Mm-hmm. And we have the right to have a different bandage or different viewpoint on who we want to support. I think any difference of opinion, any opposition that doesn't obstruct me from getting what I need ought not to be considered a conflict. Mm-hmm. I mean, it ought to be considered what it is, which is a legitimate difference of opinion. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't have to make us adversaries. It just means on this issue, we're not in the same camp. We're not in the same place. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't suggest that I allow a disagreement or a difference of opinion to draw a line between me and someone else and make us adversaries. But I do think conflict is something different than that. Okay. I think conflict occurs whenever I uh, perceive someone or something as an obstacle to me achieving an important goal or outcome that I'm committed to. So when someone, I view someone as obstructive to me getting what I want, I'm in conflict with them. So if I were to use even a simpler phrase, I'm in conflict when I can't get what I want without preventing you from getting what you want. Or I'm in conflict when you can't get what you want without preventing me from getting what I want. You created a thought in my mind. What do you do with the person who says, uh, let's just agree to disagree when you bump into that kind of situation? And we say, well, we're saying disagreement isn't necessarily that you're in conflict. But I almost feel like that very statement begs the issue or suggests, oh, indeed, we are in conflict. Thoughts on that? Well, I think, yeah, I, I mean, recently, and particularly in the political climate we've been in, there have been people who've asked me just to see it as a difference. Well, unfortunately, for whatever reason inside me, I can't do that. I think it goes beyond just a 
difference of opinion. I think there are times that people, there's an issue of integrity. There's an issue of intellectual honesty. And what I expect of others is, to, is that they'll be honest, that they'll, if they're unwilling to do that, then we are in conflict. It's not just a difference of opinion. If they're unwilling to acknowledge what the truth might be or what the facts are, then I'm in conflict with you. For me, part of what I want to achieve is that we see a common interpretation of facts. And if you're unwilling to do that, then that's not just a matter of a difference of opinion. Okay. So that would be part of the a dilemma I have with people that when they say, let's just agree to disagree. There would be a time, there are times where I just can't do that. Well, you know, and I think you raised the political climate we've been through in the last four years. And I think that's a very good example of why these last four years have been different than previous years is because they've generated true conflict, not just simple disagreement. It's not about disagreements about ideologies. It represents fundamental obstacles to us being able to see desired outcomes as a result of statements, beliefs, practices that have been put in place where I can no longer as a person who feels I'm in conflict, can no longer get what I want because you've prevented me from doing that by the way you've operated, either with not telling the truth, with not being honest, with not seeing the facts as the same. Even this whole idea of alternate facts created this kind of sensation of, no, this is real conflict. This is, We can no longer even agree on what's real, what's factual, right? Interesting. Well, maybe we should push on. What are some of your thoughts about beliefs people carry about the nature of conflict, what conflict's about, some thoughts there. Well, I think that most people experience conflict as negative mm-hmm. and that something must, someone or something must have gone wrong if there's conflict. And I think that's, that belief is in the air. I think conflict is inevitable. Well, I'm not sure it's always necessary. I do see it as inevitable mm-hmm. so that it's something that in my life I can't honestly avoid all the time that is going to occur. Mm-hmm. And I know in, in, in working with uh, people in a clinical setting, all too often people felt, and we even express it this way, a good day is when nothing bad happens. Hmm. And my reaction was always, well, then you're going to have a lot of bad days <laughs> because the quality of a day ought to be based on how I respond to it, not whether it's positive or negative. I mean, the, the most extreme example, of course, to me, would have been the Holocaust. And there's a lot of writing from those who experienced it firsthand, where they viewed life in positive ways, even in those situations. And that was a choice on their part. And so they didn't see that terrible, terrible punishment as something they ought not to just find a way to live with and not allow it to take over their lives. Mm-hmm. And so I think the idea that I have to have a conflict-free experience in order to enjoy my life. That is a belief that foundationally will always put you at risk. I think one of the things that I'm hearing and what you're saying too, is that oftentimes people feel that if we have conflict, somebody must have done something wrong, that something's gone wrong here. And that's not always true. Again, we go back to our definition. It says, it's nothing more than simply preventing me from getting what I want puts me in conflict with you. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong or that I've done something wrong, but there's so much that goes on in the world where we can't all get what we want or even get what we need without others preventing us from doing that. So it's back to this notion of conflicts is inevitable. We certainly wouldn't put it in the category necessarily as desirable, although I do hear lots of 
organizations talk about the notion of having good fights, the notion of having open disagreement, the notion of having openly challenge one another in meetings, as all put in this category of it's worth having conflict if it can result in positive outcomes, because we need that to generate new ideas. But it's not that we want to talk about conflict as being overly desirable, but we want to talk about conflict as not being overly negative either. That is not always negative. It's not. It's just inevitable, as you said. And so we have to figure out how to manage it. That was the other thought that I had was that oftentimes people struggle with conflict because they want to resolve it. They think once I get this resolved, we can move on. And many times conflict is not resolvable in some final sense, but it's manageable. You were non-verbally acknowledged. You want to comment on that? Oh, no, no. I think you're absolutely right. I think when I when I believe there's a right answer, there's a right solution to this, I'm putting a lot more tension on the area of conflict than needs to be applied. Mm-hmm. And that kind of pressure won't necessarily move it in the direction that either of us want to go. One of the things I think I find interesting in my contact with people over this issue of conflict is very often I can be in conflict with someone, but they're not in conflict with me. Hmm. What, is that? what do you mean by that? Conflict isn't automatically mutual. Hmm. Well, when I was more actively parenting my children when they were young and when they were, say, in high school and we had a curfew and that curfew was, say, 10 o'clock, that put them in conflict with me because they wanted to stay out later. <laughs> but I wasn't in conflict with them unless they didn't get in by 10. <laughs> the fact I set the limit at 10 didn't mean I was in conflict at all. It caused me no heartburn at all. I was very comfortable. But that caused a lot of conflict with them where they wanted to be in by 10, 30 or 11, or they wanted to stretch it a bit. And so they were in conflict with me. When you bring up parenting, it makes me think there's been several times when I've bumped into parents who are in conflict with their children. And one of the statements I hear is, why is she doing this to me? Or why is he doing this to me? And it strikes me as taking on a very personal note. So I think that's another thing that's problematic about conflict is that when we get into it, sometimes people see as if it's intentional. And I really think about kids here, that kids are deliberately doing something willfully to prevent their parents from being good parents or to prevent their parents from doing what they think they ought to do or what the kids ought to do. And so I find that adds to the dilemma, the emotional impact of conflict in a negative way by first interpreting any conflict we might have as they're doing this to me. This is intentional. This is somehow willful, willfully disobedient. When in fact, as you just described, they just want to be out. Uh, they would love to be out to midnight versus 10. And so for you to interpret when they don't get in by 10 is, well, they deliberately defied me versus no, they're just doing what they think until they get confronted with structure. Yeah. I'm just playing off of your thoughts there. I, th- I find it interesting. And I think it also happens in the work setting. Go ahead, jump in. I was going to say in the work setting, I could create a conflict that doesn't exist hmm. in my head. In my head, I could say, I need the next two weeks off, and my boss is not going to allow that. My boss is going to make that impossible. And so that's starting to roll around in my system, and I'm starting to feel the negative energy of that. And then I go to my boss and say, you know, I, I really need to ask you for something that I'm concerned that may not be workable, but I'd like to see anyway. And that is, I need the next two weeks off to attend to something. And my boss responds, oh, that's fine. We can adjust and have you make your contribution a little bit later. Well, then I've spent all this time in what feels like a conflict when really there's not one there because 
the person wasn't going to be obstructive. I didn't know that until I asked. Mm -hmm. So often we spend energy and time feeling a conflict that's not real. That's, that's not going to occur. And once we get it in the open or try to address it, we find out, oh, that was not a problem. One thing I'm hearing you say is the very act of communication or the attempt to communicate can frequently clarify, at the very least, whether we are in conflict or not. The notion that I've anticipated this, I've built this up in my mind, I've already concluded, yeah, we're, we're going to have a problem here. And so if I don't communicate, I may not find out that there really was no problem at all. But by communicating, and that's, again, one of the things we want to talk about, is how do we be more effective in managing conflict through communication? And that's one of the things we're going to want to address in episodes coming up are different types of conflicts and how we can begin to address those more effectively and how communication can serve as a way of us managing conflict and even sometimes feeling that we brought it to some level of resolve. Now, we're, believe it or not, just a few minutes away from having to conclude the episode. One of the things that we did on this one, just for fun, is we came up with some one-liners that we've heard people use in terms of dealing with conflict. So we just thought they were kind of fun. So you want to throw one or two of those out, and I'll add a, one or two? Okay. Uh, one of the one-liners I've heard related to conflict is, I didn't say it was your fault. I just said, I'm blaming you. <laughs> and one one I heard was, the, the last thing I want to do is hurt you, but it's still on my list. <laughs> Here's one. Do not argue with an idiot. He will drag you down to his level and then beat you with experience. <laughs> I kind of love that one. And then, and then one I also liked was, now, if I agreed with you, we'd both be wrong. So, so anyway, we just, as we were trying to think through conflict, we just bumped into those. Up that, well, those would be kind of fun. Well, I think uh, maybe we could talk just a minute or two about where we're headed next and wrap up this episode. Thoughts okay. on that? Uh, well, I think that where we're headed next is we're going to talk about the type of conflict. There are three types of conflict. So one of your commitments should be to, to make sure you've got the conflict identified correctly. Mm -hmm. Because all too often we're working with conflict and we've not correctly seen it for what it might be. So we'll do that. We'll, we'll look at types of conflict. Then we're going to look for preferences or strategies that people have for managing conflict. And we'll use a model, a researchable model, Thomas Kilman model, that will help clarify what are five different strategies that are most commonly used to step up to conflict. And then the last thing we want to do is to use this particular issue, conflict, as an opportunity to share some case studies. Because so many people get confronted with conflict and communication and thought this would be an ideal situation for us to talk about, well, what's the best way to manage that if there is a best way and how would you best approach this problem that you're confronted with? And so we've asked some people to share with us some conflict situations, managers, leaders, executives that we might be able to introduce in future podcasts. So until then, the twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or a situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast. <laughs>